Oh, mercy, mercy me. How are you doing, by the way? It's a Thursday, a dank, a dank, a damp, a dismal Thursday afternoon here in the great city of Salford. I'm the BBG. Mark Windows returns to the Richie Allen Show this particular Thursday. I can't wait for that because I'm very fond of the man and he's always interesting, isn't he? You can join in via the website richieallen.co.uk. Please do. Don't be a stranger. Thursday it is. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yes, don't be a stranger. Talk to me, talk to me now. Now, I said now, as they say in Northern Iron. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, you know Mark from Windows on the World, a terrific website. He's a great broadcaster, is Mark, great producer. He's got uh, a feature-length historical drama coming out, a documentary, a documentary about the heretics of London. And it's about people who were burned at the stake in the 1500s and the battles of the church, the state, and the, you know, those accused of heresy. It's really interesting. And Mark reckons, well, it's very prescient today. So Mark joins us. He's a great guy. He's a musician. He's a, I suppose you'd say, a broadcaster, producer. He's also a researcher. And these days, he's a bit of a European traveller. So Mark joins us today. He's the only guest on the programme today, 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 today. Right, get rid of the... Still having, not teasing problems. Everything is working. But I'm still getting used to things here. Because it hasn't even really been two weeks, has it? No, I don't think it has. Um, Big Billy Gates, eh? Uh, as in Bill Gates, Microsoft founder, the the man mostly behind the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He flew into London town yesterday to meet with Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, or His Majesty's, His Majesty's opposition. Why did he do that? Well, he came to discuss climate change and global health. Two things, of course, which Bill Gates is no expert whatsoever, is he, really? Isn't it astonishing that big Billy Gates can fly into London and get an audience with the next Prime Minister to discuss climate change and global health with him? Did he meet Rishi Sunak, the recently crowned UK Prime Minister? I can't answer that. I don't know. Maybe he did meet him. Has Keir Starmer been chosen to take the agenda forward? Maybe. I don't know at all. Your thoughts, please. Interestingly enough, it was only The Independent, which isn't a newspaper anymore. Sadly, it isn't in print anymore. It's only online. It's confined to online. It's only The Independent that really took it up. As far as I know, I've looked around. Why do you think the broadcast media is not talking about it? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> There you are. Big Billy Gates, your thoughts, please. Um, Pope Francis has been speaking about pornography and he said that even nuns watch porn. Fuck off. No, seriously. Fuck off. No, he said nuns watch porn. <laughs> he did. He said that nuns watch porn. Tom, what do you think? Let me ask you something. Are you out of your fucking mind? Listen, it's the Pope. And what about papal infallibility? If he says nuns are watching porn, he must be right. Um, There was a film about it, wasn't there, back in the 1990s. I think Whoopi Goldberg was in it. It was called Six... What was it called? Sister Act. 
acting like a hoe. That, that was it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I crack myself up. I don't crack anyone else up, but I crack myself up. That is the level. Sister acting like a hoe by googling pornographic videos. Nuns on the run. Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane, the late great Robbie Coltrane. What's the collective term for nuns? Do you know? It's a shower of bastards. No, 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 it isn't. I, I, I hate nuns. I don't know why. I have no good reason to hate nuns. I didn't go to. Uh, I didn't go to uh, to to uh, to a convent school. That's because I'm not a tranny. I, I'm I'm a man. I went to. I went to a non-denominational school. I went to St. Paul's Secondary School in Waterford and we, we didn't have religious assembly and stuff like that. But I do, I detest nuns. I don't understand why. Uh, the Pope said, who's he's 86 now, by the way, so it won't be too long before we'll be looking at the chimneys. Not too long. Maybe he'll go on forever. Uh, he was responding to a question about how digital and social media should be best used. And out of the blue, he came up with porn. <laughs> How should we best use the social media thing? Your worship, your grace. And the Pope says, well, porn, he says, out of the blue. He didn't say, well, we should use it to communicate with our friends and, and maybe we should have mass on Twitter. Is there anything to be said for a good mass on Twitter? There's plenty to be said for it. So out of the blue, he said, porn was a voice that so many people have. Have. It's a voice that so many people have even priests and nuns. And then he said, he said, the devil enters from there. So they pressed him on it and they said, um, how do you navigate social media and the digital world? And he said, well, it should be used, but we shouldn't waste too much time on it. Yeah. Nuns and porn. Yeah. Fabulous. So good. <laughs> we know more than... Yeah. Stop now. It's not funny anymore, this system. I'm trying to meet you halfway. I'm going to take an axe to you if you don't stop playing jingles I haven't called. Stop it now. Or I'll blow up the studio again and go back to analogue. <laughs> no, I won't do that. It's six minutes past the hour. Uh, the Gender Act in Scotland. In Scotland. There's another accent I can't do. Um, they were debating in the Scottish Parliament today the new Gender Recognition Act which will allow people 16 years of age and over just declare themselves to be whatever the bloody hell they want to be. And there won't need to be any medical intervention. You see, um, they want to speed up the time that it takes to obtain a gender recognition certificate in Scotland. And they want to drop the requirement for a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And they've lowered this from 18 to 16. So anybody can be anybody really in Scotland. And a woman called Ash Regan, or Regan, who is a minister, or was, in the Scottish government, she's quit saying her conscience wouldn't allow her to support these plans. Good girl. Ma on Colleen, as we say in God's country. And if you had any decency, you'd learn some Gaelic, some, some Gwaelga, if you want to be listening to me much longer. A Juliet Dunlop, 
uh, works for Good Morning Britain and she explains pretty much what has been going on today. And it has in many ways become a toxic debate, one that in principle affects only a very small number of people, but in reality it has snowballed into a much wider argument. Now for supporters of this change in the law, it is all about making life easier for the trans community. It removes the medical aspect of obtaining a gender recognition certificate. It also means applicants will only need to live in their chosen gender for three months rather than the current two years. And as you say, it also lowers the age limit from 18 to 16. But so, so dress up as a woman for three months and walk around pretending to be a woman. And in Scotland, after three months, you will be given a certificate to say that you're a lady. But for camp... A lady! Campaigners who oppose this, well, they say it rides roughshod over the rights of women and girls. And one prominent critic of this, the author J.K. Rowling, well, recently she was pictured wearing a T-shirt branding Nicola Sturgeon, who backs this bill, a destroyer of women's rights. And the Scottish Conservatives, well, they have also raised serious concerns. We don't want to have a situation where a bad faith actor um, could uh, self-identify and then cause harm to particularly vulnerable women. We want to ensure that trans people are not discriminated against, but I just believe that the Scottish Government have rushed this legislation. Now, for trans activists, they say that this change in the law will mean a huge difference, a big improvement to that community, that this idea that it somehow does put the rights of women and girls and there potentially puts them in danger, well, they've dismissed that argument. Yeah. Now, Maya Forstater, you'll remember her, she was sacked by a think tank a couple of years ago um, because she holds gender-critical beliefs. You know, if you have a penis, you're not a woman. Only women have cervixes. Anyway, Maya Forstater was sacked. She eventually won on appeal. She won a ruling that declared that she'd been wrongfully terminated. She was speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio, TV, whatever it's called today. And Maya Forstater talked about Eddie Izzard, the comedian actor guy who these days goes by the pronouns she and he and might very well try and get uh, on the ticket for the Labour Party in Sheffield in the next election. Maya Forstater. It's ridiculous. Like you say, everyone knows Eddie Izzard's man. Um, saying that he's doing things in girl mode is insulting. In girl mode. Uh, <laughs> you know, he has no experience of being a woman because he's a man. Uh, he's a disgusting bastard. Look at him. Uh, and, you know... I don't think any kind of surgery, hormones, clothing, makeup turn a man into a woman. But it's very obvious with Eddie Izzard um, that he isn't a woman. But, you know, he has been <laughs> using women's toilets since even before he said he was a woman. Since, you know, when he was honestly said... Just the fact that you even have to say this stuff out loud and it isn't a parody. I know I'm repeating myself from Monday. It's just, it astounds me because I listen to this all day and I laugh out loud and thank God I do. I see the funny side of it. It's quite obvious that Eddie Izzard isn't a woman. You're damn right it's obvious that Eddie Izzard isn't a woman. 
Um, there's a lot more that could be said about Eddie Izzard right now, but I'll leave it for now. It's coming up for 11 and a half minutes past the hour. This is your Richie Allen Show. Now, about um, three, four days ago, Mark Boyerski, a very non-judgmental guy, a very spiritual guy, a very decent human being who doesn't have, I don't think, a discriminatory bone in his body. But he sent me a link to a clip from a Channel 4 television show which went out last Friday night, a live TV show on Channel 4 which appeared to be hosted by Ben Elton. And during this live Channel 4 television show, a bloke dressed as a woman performed a song while playing the piano. And at the end of the song, the bloke stood up from the piano, stripped off stark bollock naked, and then grabbed his lad in his hand and proceeded to play the final notes of the song with his tallywhacker. Miss Ballbreaker. Let's refer to it as a tallywhacker. Um, that's... I won't say disgusting, because I'm not in any way prudish, but it's certainly an offence against public decency. It's an outrage against public decency, isn't it? To be doing stuff like that. And the thing that annoyed me most when I saw the clip was all of these heifer-looking women in the front row. They must have been pissed right up, jumping up and down screaming and clapping as this freak jumped around the stage naked penis dangling, swinging around like a pendulum. Too much information, Richie. Okay. All right, I'll shut up. Now, I could be accused of hate speech speech for saying freak, so let me qualify that. I don't believe any human being is a freak, and I don't believe that Jordan Gray is a freak, really. But his act is a freak show, isn't it? I wrote about this today, and I'm not a religious man, I'm not a guy who believes in telling people what they should and shouldn't do and how they should live, but I believe that broadcasters have a responsibility to keep idiots like that off the air. Am I wrong? Am I being a hypocrite? Please, tell me. Well, a Baron, excuse me, a Baroness Nicholson of Winterbourne has written to Ofsted, which is the uh, watchdog for schools, for education, it's the educational watchdog. And Nicholson has asked the school's watchdog to cut any ties it has with the charity Educate and Celebrate. Now, this is a charity which provides LGBT plus inclusion training in schools. Basically, they go into schools and fuck up the minds of children who should be colouring in or playing with toys, bringing the toys to the carpet and then bringing them back on the whistle, all that sort of stuff. So they go in there and they start talking about sex and gender with children. Shouldn't be doing it. Apparently this Jordan Gray, this bloke who dresses like a woman, um, was working with this charity and uh, Baroness Nicholson said, look, this is not good enough. We don't want people like this going to speak to children. Quite right. The charity has said that following the show on Friday night, they've cut their ties with Jordan Gray. It's a freak show. Transvestites who play piano with their penises in my opinion, belong in tents back in the 19th century. They should have no place on TV, however late in the evening. And I'm not prudish. And unlike my aforementioned friend, I don't have a discriminatory bone in my body. Live and let live. But this is the, it's just sickening, isn't it? It's sickening how standards have plummeted through the fucking floor everywhere. 
not just the media, everywhere. The things that at one time we would have said no fucking way are now taken as, you know, somebody's human right. Some fucking minority. Some goon. Some fetishistic fuckwit. And you have to put up with that. Well, I don't put up with it. Anyway. Interesting take on that. Um, from a lot of people online. It's interesting that the Wokarati haven't really gotten their way on it. <clears throat> a lot of people pissed off um, with that. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Listen to this. Um, again, because I produce the show... You know, I, I work on the website, I put some stuff on the website, I'm listening to about a half a dozen radio and television programmes, not simultaneously, I switch around and I'm reading the broadsheet newspapers. So early enough this morning, I did catch a little bit of Nick Ferrari's LBC radio breakfast programme. And there was a lot of talk about migration and illegal immigration in the press today and in the broadcast media. You know, will Rishi Sunak's government get a grip with with refu with the refugee situation? How come boats are still setting sail on the French coast and arriving over here with Albanian men, and and, and all of this sort of stuff, right? And I'm an immigrant. I am. I'm an Irishman, I'm a proud Irishman. I'm Irish to my bone marrow. I I don't belong in this country. I am a guest in this country. And and that's how I see it. And Ferrari took a phone call from a from a bloke called Paul who works with unaccompanied children. He works with children who end up on these boats. Now LBC has verified that this guy is real. His name is not Paul. It's something else. But what he says is kind of interesting and it should be concerning if you've got children in fifth year. I don't know what you say in the UK. Fifth year, right? Sixth year. A-levels college, that sort of stuff. Uh, Paul tells Ferrari something which I, I'd be concerned about if I had children, particularly daughters. I work with a lot of these um, unaccompanied minors that come over. Mm. Now, now I know that everybody in the UK is all about safeguarding, looking after each other, looking after our, um, our, young, our young ones as well. Now, I'm going to give you another perspective. So, I've worked with an influx of young men who've come over who claim to be 16 but they're actually 23, 24 years old. When I've taken them to, to the dentist, because you have to sign them up for the dentist, they're entitled to everything, Nick. They're entitled to a full screening. We get them signed up to dentists. I've taken and you can't get a dentist appointment now if you need NHS dentistry. Now, I don't get NHS dentistry. I don't qualify for it. So when I need a dentist, I go private and I get seen not as quick as I used to. But I get seen within about four weeks. In fact, my next appointment is about three and a half weeks from today. I've got a crown uh, needs doing and a filling. It's going to be expensive, but tough shit, Paddy. It's got to be done, right? But if you rely on NHS dentist treatment, you wait forever and a day, but they take them off the boats, they get looked after. Yes, I've taken them to the dentist. Dentists have asked their age. I've told them their, their um, claimed age. Dentists have said that's that's not their age. They're twenty three. They're twenty four. Right. I then get them. What signed happens up. to them then? What once we reveal Nick, nothing, that this man Nick, is twenty? Nothing. Nothing. They get a root canal, Nick, and they get a lollipop. I'm telling you, nothing. Mm. I then get them signed up to a college or sixth form college. Nick, you have got, and this is fact. You have got. 
23, 24-year-old men that will be in sixth-form colleges with 15-year-old girls, 16, 17-year-old girls, Nick. This is a truth that I'm dealing with today. That's mad stuff, isn't it? Ferrari went out of his way to say that, you know, this guy wasn't Paul, he was something else, and they knew that this guy was working with unaccompanied minors. So young Albanian men are ending up, as part of the ruse, are ending up in schools with, with British children. This is one of those that I'm not going to play it. Will I play it? Is it, it, it have I done this to death now? <laughs> yeah, to death. So they go on, right? Now, and that how is another so, side of it. Paul, how would you solve this, sir? How is this to become... I, how would you solve it? It's quite simple. How old are you? Uh, 17. No, you're not fucking 17. Get back on the boat, you dickhead. That's as simple as it gets. That's how you solve it. Get back on that rubber dinghy and get out there. But I'll drown. Couldn't give a shit. On your bike. On your, sorry, on your dinghy. I want to know, I want to know why a medical screening cannot be done to determine their age. If, if they are the age that they claim to be, why can't it be done medically? Why can't we check teeth or bones to get a more accurate age? Because, Nick, what worries me is you have, you. Got, you have got grown men, Nick, grown men yeah. in college with 15, 16, 17-year-old girls. And they do get age assessed, Nick. Don't, don't get it wrong. They do get age assessed, but they get age assessed by the authority that they come under. Paul, this is fascinating. We're already very late to the news. I'd love to talk to you more, and I know it's not your real name and we've put you in a different part of the country, but that is a huge issue, and we do need to get into that. Thank you for your can. Just kicked them off. It's the most interesting phone call that Nick Ferrari has had on his pretty mediocre programme for a long time, and they couldn't wait to get rid of the guy because he's dropping a few truce bombs. You know, back in the day, I, get, I tell you what Jerry Ryan would have done. Jesus, Paul. I'm not going to try and attempt to do Jerry Ryan's voice. He would have said, Jesus, Paul, hang on a second. Don't go anywhere. Colette will talk to you. We'll take the news. We'll come back. We'll get more from Paul. It's Paul talking bollocks. Phone me, 01, that's Dublin, whatever, 636-425-712 or whatever it was. Hang on, we'll get Paul back. Could this be going on? Are Albanian men going to school? <laughs> I'm laughing because... I'm, I'm laughing because you know why I'm laughing, right? Because I have no doubt that what Paul told Nick Ferrari is absolutely true. We live in a lunatic asylum. Yeah, that's what would have happened years ago. Paul, stay where you are, we'll take the news. Jesus. And then you'd get on to the producers. Listen, let's get some politicians on, on the line here. Let's get straight to the Home Office. Let's get a response. Let's get a statement from the Home Office. Are Albanian men really going to school as part of a ruse to convince people that they're only 16 or 17? Is that really going on? Yeah. It's the Richie Allen Show. How are you? It's Thursday, October 27th, 2022. It's lovely to be back on the show. This I, I, I was with you last week, but I missed Monday if you remember, because I was filming with Hayden. The previous week I did a couple of shows. So this is about nine shows back or whatever, but this is the first full week. So it feels good to be back. And I'm back for good, is what I am. Comment on any of these issues, richieallen.co.uk, top of the menu bar, comment live. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> 
Chris and Emma ask, is all of this immigration part of the agendas? It looks like it, doesn't it? Eh? It very much looks like it. I'm not sure about Kalergi plans. Not sure if I buy into that. Although it's foolish of me to say that because it doesn't matter what it's named. It is apparent that there is an agenda to overwhelm Western European countries with migrants, most of whom will be nice people. They're not the enemy, these people. Most of them are not the enemy. They're good people. You know, they've got economic hardship in parts of um, Eastern Europe and parts of Southern Europe and even parts of North Africa. You would do the same if you were in their position. Let's not hate these people. They are not the problem. They are a symptom. We're a symptom. Um, the lunatics who push these agendas are responsible for the migration. But yes, of course, if you overwhelm um, economies with, 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 with extra bodies, basically, you know, while you're defunding your health and, and education and everything else, you're going to cause chaos. There's no doubt about that. Isabel says, dress, ticked, makeup, check, new boobies, check, brand new vagina, check, second X chromosome, uh, says Isabel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss Gold says, Richie, I know firsthand through a close friend of mine that it is true and it doesn't stop with porn. You talking about nuns? Thanks, Faisal, for the graphic. Uh, Jenny says, oh, no, no, that's, that's in response to something else. Monk says, Izzard said on the Joe Rogan show that he jumps between boy world and girl world, takes off the heels and he's a boy what a fucking joke, says Monk. He is a joke. He's a joke. You see, we used to have a little bit of sympathy for these people. And we would treat them, as everybody should be treated, with, with um, in a humane way. Most of us would. I know back in the day some people had to deal with, you know, violence and stuff. But most of us would have looked upon some of these people with sympathy. Privately, we might have thought, that's a bit freakish. But 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 we wouldn't have expressed that, you know. We would have we would have, would have had a bit of sympathy and tried to empathise. And older trans men and women who I've had, you know, and I I do mean this, the pleasure to meet in Manchester and through this show, they can't believe this shit. We've talked about it. They shouldn't have to be embarrassed by this. It's not their fault. It's no more their fault than it is. A chap who lives around the corner for me who happens to be a Muslim, no more than it is his fault if there is an attack somewhere and it's carried out by an Islamist extremist. Trans people shouldn't have to apologise for these idiots. But um, the patently insane is being passed off as acceptable everywhere you look. And... It's a bit mad. Now, it's a bit more than mad. Mark Windows will be limbering up there in the wings of stage BBG Tower. So, let's get him on. It's the time being 26 and a half minutes past five. The Richie Allen Show is live from BBG Towers. I'm Richie Allen. This is Blur. Mark Windows next. Don't go anywhere. Don't go. Music from Blur, that's a park life. It's gone right out of my head. It is park life. Yeah, the album though, now forget it. It doesn't matter. 
It's 29 minutes past the hour. Now, you know who Mark Windows is. You don't need me to tell you who he is. He is the man behind Windows on the World. What a terrific website, terrific radio programme. Uh, he's a musician, a researcher, a producer, a broadcaster. And these days, he is an international traveller. And he got in touch, thank God he did last week, to say, Richie, I've got a new feature-length historical drama documentary. And it's about heretics, or heretics. It's heretics is actually how you should say it, really. Um, but in London, in the 16th century, heretics that were burned at the stake and the battles between these people and the church and the state. And, um, you know, I, I believe he goes into in the film, which I haven't seen yet, but I can't wait to watch it. Um, the, the relevance of, of this study, of studying this period, the relevance of it uh, today, it's a real pleasure to welcome back to the programme uh, your friend and mine, the great Mark Windows. Hey, Mark, welcome back. Hi, Richie. Good to have you on, pal. I can't remember which is the name of the album that Park Life comes from, Blur, but it's probably Park Life, is it? I, can't I think remember. it's Park Life, yeah. The it's, album was called Park Life. It'll be the album Park Life, yeah. Hey, listen, is it okay to ask you where you are on your travels? Yes, I'm in Greece at the moment. You're in Greece at the moment, you looking masters. What, <laughs> and, and how is it there? I mean, it's absolutely piddling down here in Salford. I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure it's glorious there, is it? It's absolutely terrible, Rich. It's 25 degrees and sunny every day. You bastard. <laughs> Fantastic. The good life then. Before we talk about the film, which is fascinating, uh, it really is, because I, I, those dark periods, but, but not just the periods, but, you know, the darkest aspects of, of people, the things that people can do to one another. I really want to get into that. Before we do that, and you talk about it and give us a, a kind of... Um, a sense of why you made it and, and, and where people can see it. Quite a lot has happened since you and I last spoke. And uh, I mentioned earlier on in the programme, you will have raised an eyebrow, no doubt, yesterday to learn that that Bill Gates flew into London and was granted an audience with Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, the, the, the opposition party, where apparently, according to The Independent, they discussed global health and climate change. Should we read into that, I mean you, you tell me, you can take as long as you want on this th that Keir Starmer is basically a shoe-in as the next Prime Minister of this country I think he's the preferred puppet yes, I think they will force a general election and he will be brought in, but that's just my surmising of what was going to happen but it's quite interesting because what they're really talking about is this new issue of global health security and that's where the climate change thing comes in. So in other words, the whole issue of national emergency has been changed radically, especially since COVID. It even sounds evil, doesn't it? Global oh, health yes. security, health security. It conjures up all of these images of, you know, telling somebody, well, we've seen it, haven't we? Stay inside, you're a danger to other people. You could pass them something that might might make them very ill. And of course, you just brought it up. So you've obviously seen the latest um, IPCC stuff and World Health Organization stuff, which says that climate change is making people ill. 
Yes, of course. And I was talking about this a long time ago. To me, I'm a little bit jaded with some of the word salads that the UN, IPCC and the World Health Organization put out because it's all the same kind of rhetoric. Basically, it's gaslighting the public and the public don't really want to engage with this stuff as much as they should, because once you get the hang of it, the limited language that they use is very easy to decode. And it's actually worth people looking at these reports or the summary IPCC reports. I mean, as you know, I used to do quite a lot of work with scientists like Niels Axel Morner, who was yeah. the world's leading expert in sea levels, who's unfortunately not with us anymore. But we tried to go to Fairbourne to take on this idea of decommissioning coastal towns which were under threat of massive sea level rise which of course they're not the whole thing is based on such a preposterous lie as you know that the public can't believe that these people would lie that much but indeed they do um hi nicola lund by the way if you're listening nicola who writes for the conservative woman i got your email today nicola and i will be in touch with you over the weekend great woman nicola was in touch and something came up on the programme the other evening. I was uh, interviewing a lovely woman called Melissa Shumay, and Nicola was listening to it with interest. And I talked about, um, we took a mortgage out in 2019, in May 2019. And when we did, we, we, we got all the, doc- all the documentation about the house, Mark, as you do. And it gave us a, an, an energy efficiency rating. And that's like a colour-coded thing, A, B, C, D, E, and it shows you how energy efficient your home is. Now, I paid absolutely no attention to that at the time, except to note that we had a score, or the house had a score of C, and I thought at the time, well, oh, that's good then, so it keeps the heat in, and I was I remain a naive guy, Mark. This is why I speak to guys like you. You cut through the crap, I'm a naive guy. So I looked at this and I thought, great, the house will be fairly easy to keep warm then. I'm a Muppet. Since then, a lawyer called Robert Hansen, and Nicola Lund and Melissa Shumay and others have said, Richie, you are a clown. These energy ratings are ultimately to be used at a time in the future when they will tell people, just like you talked for years about decommissioning coastal towns, they will say, you've got to decommission your home. Your home's got to be demolished because it's, uh, it's got to be condemned because it's, it's never going to be green enough. Do you see that too? Do you see a time in the future where people who have paid their mortgages, they have their homes marked and they think, hey, I'm safe. You know, I don't owe the bank any money. But but somebody knocks on the door and says, look, we can't get your house, no matter what we do, up to the required energy efficiency rating. So we're going to condemn it. Could that really happen? Yes, and it has happened and it is happening at the moment. Councils are actually stating that older buildings are unsustainable because they are not resistant to climate change or they are not sustainable in the respect that for the very reasons actually that you've just said, the energy ratings. Now, this is interesting because I had that on my flat and my flat came back E. And the whole point of it was that estate agents years ago were saying, oh, it's just a perfunctory thing. I knew exactly what it was for because when they had the Citizens Assembly in Oxford for climate change, where you couldn't actually refute the issue of man-made climate change. That was the premise. And you were instructed by a computer modeler called Miles Allen, who'd been rebuked rather by a judge in California in 2018 for misleading the court. So a computer modeler was the expert witness on the panel. You had to sit to be indoctrinated for two days and guess what happened? The public voted 
to retrofit their homes at a cost of £25,000 each. It's already been done. It's already been done. We're going to talk about the film now in 10 seconds. I worry about this because our home is 100 years old and it doesn't need very much heating because it's 100 years old and it was built properly. So in the winter, we don't need to use the gas central heating very often. We just don't. We're lucky. The the flip side of that, of course, is is that during the summer, it gets unbearably warm in the house at times because it traps the heat in. And I thought to myself, you might get away with that. And somebody said to me, Mark, they said, Richie, you know what? What if they come and say we're condemning your house because it isn't energy efficient? Won't we be able to say as a last resort, okay, we'll tear out all the gas central heating and we'll just live in our jumpers? But they'll have have a way around that, won't they? Well, I think the thing to watch is where it's going with the interest rates because there's going to be a massive property grab. You've got to remember also, Richie, that a lot of people are up to the hilt with debt as it is. So that little bit over the top is going to make a massive difference and there will be a lot of property acquisitions. And property is actually much easier to take these days. And when I started looking into the corruption that was happening in the county courts years ago, I knew exactly how it was working. And it's extremely easy to take a house off somebody. People don't realise how easy it actually is. It's easy. Yes. You're, you're listening to Mark Windows, windowsontheworld.net. Check it out. You'll find all the details you, you want there to find out in the unlikely event you haven't heard Mark's uh, radio show before. Get on there. Right, let's have a chat about this. I, 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 this is my favourite stuff. When, when, when I watch documentary television, it's this type of thing that really grabs me. Mark has produced a feature-length film. It's a documentary. And it's called The Heretics of London, exploring the 16th century, the 1500s, and how heretics were targeted by the church and the state. Why? This is fascinating. What got you into this? Why this particular period of history? I started visiting a small area known as Smithfield, just outside the old city walls of London. And it used to be known as the Smoothfield, with a thousand years of history. It was known for jousting, duelling, and the Bartholomew's Fair, which ran until 1855. And it was closed down by the city of London because it was too rowdy. And it had this massive amount of history. And of course, what Tyler was killed in Smithfield, 1388. William Wallace was hung, drawn and quartered, dragged to Smithfield and dismembered in 1305. Heretics were burnt at the stake in Smithfield from 1401. So when I started looking at the history, I got into the atmosphere of the place and it became very interesting to say the least because a thousand years of history was there and I started to explore it. So for instance, I read all about the heretics who had been burned at the stake. And one stood out particularly, Anne Askew, who was burnt at the stake at the age of 25 on 16th of July, 1546, with three others. And she was a noble woman. Her father was High Sheriff of Lincoln. Her brothers were knighted by Henry VIII, and one was a cupbearer to him as well. So this was a very interesting thing to me, because the people who were burnt to death for heresy were not usually commoners. And that led me into a massive area of research. So I found out what had happened to Anne Askew. Then I found out about others who'd been burnt down there, including the only Catholic to be burnt at the stake for heresy, Friar John Forrest. And he 
was burned alive on top of a statue of a Welsh warrior god called Dervel Gadorn in 1538. This statue was dragged from Llandervel in North Wales to London. And the absurd argument was that Forrest was actually supporting pagan beliefs because he said that a priest could change the destiny of a sinner through confession, of course. No way. And they were comparing this to Dervel Gadon, who was meant to be able to heal people. He was a Welsh warrior god who turned away from fighting. And they had this plan, uh, Dervel Day, uh, St. Dervel's Day, every 5th of May. And so I was in Monmouth at the time. I started reading all about this. I thought, actually, it's not far away. Clan Dervel Church was where the relics of the statue actually were. There was a thing called the Horse of Dervel, which was a wooden stag, which was paraded with the statue in the churchyard. So the local ecclesiastical authority had thought, we don't want this here. This is a pagan idol. So they dragged it to Smithfield and they had this insane, in a way, argument um, accusing Friar Forrest of heresy and all that's in the film and they burnt him on top of this statue of this Welsh warrior god Dervel Gadon and I even found the poem that they put at the side of the stake that everyone could read out and this is the sort of thing that fascinated me when I walked into that church in Clan Dervel I could see those things there and that horse must be nearly a thousand years old and it's still in the porch of the church as is the staff of Dervel Gadon so when you sort of got close to history like that, it makes it even more interesting. It's not that long ago either, is it? The 16th no. century, when you think about it. I mean, how utterly... I, I've often wondered about, you know, that period in time, how it was that people could go and witness such things. I don't have the stomach. You know, if I'm out on the town and I see out of the blue some guy getting rushed and punched or something like that, you know, my heart starts racing. I can't stand anything like that. But people turned up to these things and watched these ritualistic torture fests where people were tortured and, and then murdered in this way. Well, actually, Richie, the crowds were against it. That's why they turned out in Is such that large right? so numbers. They, ah, so they turned up to plead for the lives of, of these well, heretics. how it worked was this, Richie, heretic is from the Greek hereticos, which means to choose. So basically, you were given a choice. You either go along with the Eucharist, the belief that the bread and wine, when administered by a priest, turns into the literal body of Jesus Christ. If you didn't believe that, you were a heretic. So many priests were burned as well. So mostly they were Protestant reformers, including Thomas Cranmer, who wrote the Book of Common Prayer, and was the leader of the Reformation, along with several others who we can get into. Yeah. But he was burnt at the stake because he, the point is that you were given a chance to abjure your heretical beliefs. But this was a humiliating process. So with these people, it was all about belief and faith. Their faith made them get into a position where they had to choose and they were given the choice and at the last minute, they could abjure and say, no, don't burn me to death. I will walk into the church with a faggot of sticks on my shoulder in a white robe and I will be humiliated and I will make a confession in front of the whole congregation. When it came to it, they couldn't do it. So they would rather 
burn. So they weren't dragged there kicking and screaming. They did it by choice. And that's what fascinated me, that some of these people, the bravery was unbelievable. Okay, yeah. in Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, and John, John Fox actually catalogued them all, and he does it from a Protestant perspective. And he wrote Acts and Monuments, and it's an ecclesiastical record of those burnt as heretics. And it does have a slight bias, but it was released in England in 1563, in Basel, Switzerland in 1554. And it starts off with, I find in the registers of London the names of divers men and women, troubled, persecuted and imprisoned by the proud, cruel and bloody rage of the Catholic seat. So it then goes on to give the court records and exactly what happened to these people. And maybe they were made out to be a little more heroic than they were. But to actually choose to burn to death was something that actually fascinated me. Yes. Because it was something that is beyond faith. And I got very fascinated into the lives of these people. Because hang on a second, of, hang on. Sorry. No, no, God, no, I don't want to interrupt you. This is amazing. When, when you say beyond faith, I'd like you to expand on that because for me, listening to you, I would think, well, it was purely about faith because they they had to be completely convinced that when they went through the horrible ordeal, that they would be in paradise with, with, with God, with their God. But you think it, it was more than that totally devout, sincere belief. There was something else going on, you think? Yes, I think it was beyond religious belief. I think it was almost a supernatural belief with some of these people because of what they actually said. Because sometimes their orations were recorded and what they actually said was quite astounding. The articulation of the way they actually addressed the crowd and argued because before they actually went to the stake and they'd been given a chance to abjure, they had actually been examined by the ecclesiastical court. And remember, these people are meant to be experts in religious doctrine, but these people could argue with them and they argued very cleverly around it. So when I started thinking about this, I started getting insights into something on a much higher level, that this was a supernatural belief. And indeed, one of the heretics burned, known as Joan of Kent, she was called Joan Butcher or Butcher. And she was an evangelical Anabaptist. And they were persecuted by both Protestants and Catholics. She believed Jesus was a supernatural figure. And that was against both religions. And she was burnt at the stake and she was connected to a lot of the other heretics. But the things that they came out with were really profound. And that's what I found most fascinating when I started reading about them in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there's a Catholic Book of Martyrs as well. So you get both perspectives. But we have to remember, of course, that Friar John Forrest was the only Catholic to be burned in Britain. So I had to include him because his story was so strange and he was betrayed from within the order and outside the order. And that's another thing that's quite important. There seem to be machinations going on in the background to target these people. What, 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 did, what did they understand the term supernatural to mean at the time? Because when I, when I hear stories about, about the birth and the life and the death of Jesus and 
that Jesus, the Holy Trinity, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, these are this is this is one being. To me, that's the definition of something that's supernatural. So why did they make some sort of a distinction when it came to to Christ that you couldn't say that Christ was a supernatural being? Why? What did it mean to them? You know? Because they believed in the reformist faith that Christ was a human being who had a who came back in a supernatural way. So to say he was supernatural in the first instance denied his humanity ah. in the eyes of the reformist church. So that's why they were against Anabaptists. So I included Joan Boucher because she had been preaching and reading from the Tyndale Bible, which was illegal at the time, there were several acts that were very important. Um, if we get, this is kind of the middle period really, but there was an act in 1543 called the Act for the Advancement of True Religion. So the Bible could only be read by the gentry, clerics, noblemen, and richer merchants. And of course, translating it into English was heretical. So the translators of the Bible, John Wycliffe and later William Tyndale, were both heretics, but Wycliffe was allowed to argue while he was alive because these people were the brightest minds of their times. They were philosophers and theologians, and Wycliffe translated from the Latin Vulgate, but um, later it was actually translated from the Greek, and that's where Tyndale came in. So these people were very, very intelligent. And what they were actually doing was bringing the Bible to the people. So we, we can see different sides of it. OK, so we look at the belief of the heretics and what they actually would go through. And then it was all based on the rights of the people to read the Bible in their own language. Right. And the at the Vatican, the Catholic Church, the Roman Church, issued 18 bulls against Wycliffe and called him the master of errors. And he was allowed to live. But when he died, 43 years later, they dug him up at midnight and threw his ashes into the River Swift. All this is in the film, by the way. There's a kind of potted history of the Bible because that in itself is really interesting. And it's something a lot of people don't know much about, including me when I started researching it. This is amazing. So... They're they're torturing and executing these heretics, and they're they're the official reason for doing it is is because they're blaspheming or they're perverting the word of God. But in reality, they're terrified of these people because these people are on a higher level than 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 the establishment is, and that yes. these people want to bring the Bible to the people, and and this is ultimately why they wanted to get rid of them. Yes, and they were fearless. And the thing about them is that most of them were 100% honest. They were incorruptible people. And that's what interested me. And I think there's that's where this kind of supernatural type element comes in. Did the church try to buy them off, Mark? Is, is, did you find some evidence that the church tried to buy off some of these um, these men and women? Were, were they? No, no, it no? couldn't be done because you had to choose, Richie, yeah. the whole idea heresy really we have to look at um there's several acts that are very important right mark has just dropped out momentarily oh. there oh you're back now we lost you for about 10 oh, seconds I, okay 
you, you were just saying that there were several acts and then you got cut off. Go ahead. Bolendum, a papal bull of 1184, was to abolish diverse malignant heresies. And that resulted in the end of crusades, which was in the Languedoc, among other places, where persecuted the Cathars. And it also led to the Spanish heresy was actually born. Right, Mark, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just disconnect and reconnect. <clears throat> Excuse me, because uh, the line is breaking up, but Skype being a Skype is, sometimes when you clear the call and then start again, it comes back. You've been listening to Mark Windows. How fascinating is this period of history? Um, he's back now. Sorry about that, Mark. Sometimes it clears the, the static when you when you reboot the call. We're back. You were just talking yes. about the acts that were passed, and then we lost you. Go ahead. Yes, so we had Adabal, people bull of eleven eighty four. I think you heard that one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unan Sanctum, the papal bull of thirteen o two, stated that there was one God, one faith, and one spiritual authority, and there was no salvation outside the universal church, and every human creature had to be subject to the Roman pontiff. So these were paving the way for heresy. In other words, to stop choice. So in 1215, the Fourth Lateran Council issued, amongst other things, the Eucharist, transubstantiation, the idea that the bread and wine, when administered by a priest as the Eucharist, as the wafer, becomes the flesh and blood of Christ, and that no substance of bread and wine remains. So that in itself is a belief in the supernatural. Yes. So the Catholic Church were given a supernatural belief, which the reformers did not believe in. And most heretics were burned for stating that the bread and wine was not the literal body of Jesus Christ, because they believed strongly otherwise. And they could be burned to death because they interpreted the Bible or the teachings of uh, the Bible or the life of Jesus Christ. No, not the Bible, not the Bible, the Catholic doctrine. Oh, excuse me, the Catholic so doctrine. Against yeah. the doctrine. Yes. And they yes. could just intellectually so say, we don't agree with this, and this is the reason why we don't agree with it. And for that, they could be burned alive. They would be burned alive if they didn't recant. Amazing. And they didn't. That was one way to get yourself burnt to death. And a lot of them argued around the Eucharist. If you read the examinations of Anaskew, it's really interesting because they say things like, well, what if the church mouse devoured the Eucharist. And rather than say anything to incriminate herself, she said, oh, lucky mouse. And there was this back and forth argument which went on for hours and days. Some of these heretics were kept for up to a year and they were being persuaded to recant. Now, what's interesting, Richie, is that Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, was burnt at the himself. And he actually renounced the Catholic Church in his supposed abjuration. So he was dragged to the stake. But let's get back to these acts because it's really important. So in 1215, yes, the Fourth Lateran Council introduced the Eucharist, but by 1382, heretics could be tried in the ecclesiastical courts. And if a common law writ was issued by the monarch, then they could be burnt to the stake. So heresy being burnt at the stake was a common law offence as far as the monarch was concerned and an ecclesiastical offence as far as the church was concerned. And they combined these two things. So by 1401, the parliament had agreed that 
heretico comberendo concerning the burning of heretics would be put in place as a statute alongside the Roman doctrine, which meant that heretics could be burned legally at the stake under a common law writ. So the first person to be burned in 1401 was in Smithfield. When this bull was issued, um, this act came in, then William Sawtree, a priest from Lynn in Norfolk, was burned at the stake. And when you hear the things he said, then you wonder why, because apart from denying transubstantiation, he supported everything that was actually written in the Bible. Uh, then in 1543, we had the Act for the Advancement of True Religion. The Bible could only be read, be read by the gentry, clerics, noblemen and richer merchants, which is where Anne Askew fell foul of it because she read the Bible aloud. I think she was about 23 or 24 in Lincoln Cathedral, which was one of the most shocking things that a woman could could ever do. She got the Bible out and started reading aloud from it. And then she came to London and she met people like Joan Boucher. She was distributing the Tyndale Bible. Another thing that's really interesting, Richie, is that the Tyndale Bible was originally handwritten and they were smuggled into England and then printed abroad. But the women used to smuggle in Tyndale's Bibles under their skirts and distributed them to the, the court of the king. So there was a lot of infiltration going along as well. That's what Joan Boucher used to do. And then in 1539, this is the best one, we had the Act of Six Articles, which was formally titled An Act Abolishing Diversity in Opinions. Now, doesn't that sound very much like the hate speak and all the draconian stuff that's going on now? An Act Abolishing Diversity in Opinions. And that's, um, I mean, I, this, I don't know any of this. You know, I'm a guy who studied history, but I, I don't know any of this. This is, well, it's, it's beyond. Fascinating doesn't cover it. Is that the word-for-word word wording of the Act? The Absolutely. The, formally, the formal title for the, act, for the Act of Six Articles, 1539, Act Abolishing Diversity in Opinions. It reinforced transubstantiation. And by, of course, by 1534, we had the Act of Supremacy when Henry made himself head of the church, which is why Friar John Forrest was burned at the lake, because he opposed the Act of Supremacy. So many of the Franciscan monks actually opposed Henry making himself head of the church. Many were, taught, many were put in prison. Um, I think over 100 of them died of starvation. And people don't remember this either. A lot of them were put in Newgate prison. So... The monks who would not take the oath of supremacy were treated as heretics, but only Friar John Forrest was burnt, whereas the others were burnt basically for denying that the wafer turns into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ as the Eucharist. And you might substitute denying that the wafer and the wine is turned into blood and the flesh of Jesus, you, you, you can draw a parallel with, and you shouldn't deny that climate change is real, because by doing that, you're putting people's lives at risks, at risk even, therefore, we, we've got to legislate for that. So I, I, I know you, I've known you for years, I know what you've researched, uh, the agendas that we call Agenda 20, 2020, 2030, the Great Reset, and you're studying this period of history, and you're seeing very serious similarities in, in what we're witnessing today? Yes, 
because it's as you say, if you don't believe, then you are a denier. Yeah. But to deny just means that you don't accept it. If you don't accept something, you have to deny it. So looking at this, Fritz gets up and says, this is the this is the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, and you vapor and some wine, then that means that you are in an alt. So it's exactly the same thing as the climate change. It's exactly the same thing as the LBGT trans thing. If you say, well, that's just someone who's dressed up as a woman, then that is now a kind of hate speak. It, it doesn't. So it doesn't it, carry. Yeah. It doesn't carry with it the consequences suffered by Anne Askew and by Friar John and and others. But might it in the future carry with it serious enough consequences for people? I don't mean capital punishment, but might denying the, the, the climate crisis might that result in somebody being incarcerated? Do we really believe that such a thing could happen? I think it will happen, Richie, because if this gets out that it's a scam, how do you think people are going to react? Yeah. Look at certain religious beliefs and not questioned. That Mark, I'm going we, to clear the line again. This is so interesting and so important, and the line is not marvellous. Mark is in Greece, as he said. I don't want to sound now in any way bigoted against the Greek people because I couldn't be, but I lived in Spain long enough and I know the situation isn't fantastic even today in Spain when it comes to internet connectivity and speeds. So I'm guessing that might be the issue. But um, I hope it cleared it out. Sorry about these uh, issues, Mark. It's a pain in the arse, but this is it's too important. It may well be this end, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, connectivity speeds in Southern Europe, they're not up to, to, to the par. Um, that we enjoy here, but but this is this is fascinating. So we could see a situation where people are locked up because they deny climate change or deny a man can change into a woman if he feels like it. Now, back in the 16th century, did were they ever open about why they were executing the heretics? I mean, did they say that these people are a danger to society? Did they say that they that that they threaten? civilization by their refusal to believe in the Eucharist is that how or did they just was was it something that the, the people were never told uh, no the, the the Catholic Church openly stated it that that's what heretico comberendo actually stated it said the divers false and perverse people of a certain new sect they make and write books they do wickedly instruct and inform people so they did clearly say that these people are a danger to yes. society. They They're call them malevolent. Right. Um, because of their beliefs. This bloody phone. This bloody phone. I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. I'm going to take a quick tune and we're going to do it the old-fashioned way if we can, right? I'll get Mark back on. How interesting is this? Mark Windows from Windows on the World net he's produced a new documentary feature film about the 16th century and how heretics were burned at the stake by the establishment um, for their beliefs or for refusing to uh, to go along with uh, established thinking 
or official thinking at the time. Let's uh, take this from Mika. I think it's Mika. It is Mika. Go ahead. Go ahead, play out system. Play the bloody thing and we'll get Mark on. Right, Micah, Mika, Grace, Kelly, Mark is back, this time the old-fashioned way. Thank God for that. You're back, you're there, thank God. Welcome back. Yeah, I hope it, I hope it stays, Richie, because the, the signal is not... Um, I, was, I was on a computer, and I'm using a kind of possible internet. I, uh, there, there's definitely some something going on in the ether trying to put us off this conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> bear with it as long as we can. We were juxtaposing the situation today with the situation back then. Now, what's really interesting about what happened back then is is that eventually, seemingly, saner minds prevailed and these religious laws and state laws uh, to deal with heresy, they eventually went away, didn't they? Well, it changed because when Henry made himself head of the church in 1534 with the Act of Supremacy, of course, then Rome was not in charge anymore. And when Henry died, it went back to Protestantism under Edward VI, who was nine years old, but was advised by a Regency council. He also died quite young. And then Elizabeth I, sorry, sorry, I've missed something out here with all the gaps. Um, when, when Henry died, Mary came to the throne and a further 280 Protestants were burnt at the stake so it really got going under Mary. When, um, see, so you got Edward VI and Mary, and then when Elizabeth first came in, she again brought in another act of supremacy. So she made herself head of the church again. Taking, well, taking on Henry's mantle, making herself head of the church. Um, and, and Yeah, I mean, it, it all gets... Rather complicated, Richie, because that's why I had to backtrack a bit there, because yeah, yeah. it really depended on on who was in power. And Henry was a devout Catholic. And, of course, he married Catherine of Aragon. And Catherine of Aragon was actually a friend of Friar John Forrest because she was a third order Franciscan. And this is the complex thing about the Reformation, is that Henry depending on who he wanted to marry, was making himself head of the church in 1534. So what happened after that was that it was a very unstable period. So you could be, for instance, let's talk about Anne Askew. She was burned in 1546, but if she had done what she was burnt for in 1546, in 1547, she wouldn't have been burned at the stake because the Act for the Advancement of True Religion and the Act of Six Articles were both abolished when Henry died. A year later. And this, reading up on the film today, when this lady was burned at the stake, did she, before she was burned, did she cry out, not in fear, but in, not in triumph either, but in fact, didn't she cry out to say, neither Jesus nor any of the apostles or disciples ever killed anybody. Did she say that? She said that at one of her examinations. She oh, was did she? examined several times. And we bring Bishop Bonner's recantation into the film because when she was first caught, Bonner wrote a recantation for her, which came up to the mark with orthodox belief just about. 
but she was a very headstrong person. And what happened was that she had already been caught distributing the Bible and proselytizing and reading the Bible aloud in Lincoln Cathedral. But what happened was, because she was a friend of Catherine Parr, there was uh, another faction who wanted to bring down Henry. And so because Catherine Parr was a Protestant and Henry was under the Church of Rome at the time, before he made himself head of the church, then they were looking for what they could get. So basically what happened was Anne Askew had already been condemned, but she was illegally tortured in the Tower of London by Sir Richard Rich, who was a lawyer who was in charge of this kind of ecclesiastical interrogation. So what happened was Anaski was illegally tortured twice. She was racked. The original magistrate walked out and said, this is illegal. For one, you can't torture women. And for two, it's absolutely horrendous what you're doing to her. He walked out and Richard Rich and Thomas Rottersley carried on torturing her. And she could, so, have, she could have ended it by recanting, by saying whatever they wanted her to say. And she might have walked out of there or at least gone into a prison cell. She could have ended it, but she... She, she, she held steadfastly to her beliefs, did she, Mark? Yes, yeah, she'd already been imprisoned before. She'd already yeah. been held in Newgate. And so this third time, what was interesting was that she never knew who her who accuser actually was. That was never revealed, you see. So what happened was she was tortured twice because they were trying to find out if she and Catherine Parr had been involved in any illegal activities, in other words, distributing Bibles or preaching in public, which was illegal. And people within the court had turned a blind eye to Catherine Parr preaching within the court. So the reason they tortured Anne Askew was they were trying to get Catherine Parr implicated. But Anne Askew would not say anything about anybody. The torture was extreme. They dislocated her bones and she was carried to the stake. And burned. And didn't give up any names and didn't say what they wanted her to say to to confess and recant, just accepted her fate? No, she didn't at all. And in the final examination of Anne Askew, she actually says that the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ is not the Eucharist. Wow. So that was heresy. She says, as for your God, it is but a piece of bread. And that's what condemned her. Now, let me just remind the listeners the name of the film, and you'll tell us in a few minutes. We've got another 15 minutes to chat anyway, or a little bit more than that if we need to. But Mark has made The Heretics of London. It's about the 1500s, the 16th century, and the, the fate of these incredibly brave men and women who refused to accept the... Uh, the dogma of the state refused to be told what to believe and what to think and died for it in the most heinous and cruel of ways. I can't wait to see this, mate, to be honest with you. We'll we'll get all the details on, on where people can get it, where they can rent it or where they can buy it. We'll do all that in a few minutes. And when you look around the world today, and there aren't too many of them, but I've just finished reading a book called Green Murder by Ian Plymer. I don't need to tell you who Ian Plymer is. You know all about it. Oh, yeah, him. I know Ian. Yeah. You, you know yeah. Ian. Um, so people like Ian then and others 
is it a stretch to suggest that in the future, in the near future, guys like Ian Plymer and others, and, you know, younger men and women than him, might be tested the way Anne Askew was tested, might be told to recant and to confess that you're a liar, that climate change is real and it's going to kill everybody, um, and you better fess up now and accept that you were wrong, or else... I mean, again, I don't want to sound naive, but is that what you think might be the fate of academics who have the guts to step forward and say, no, I don't agree with this? I think it already has been the fate in that they do it a different way. The idea of the burning of heretics, which I see as a human sacrifice in a kind of demonic way, was that they would be doing them a favour by ridding the earth of them, body and soul, because they believed that they didn't have souls, that once they were burned, nothing remained. So the earth had been cleansed. That was what they thought. Now, compare it to getting banned from speaking, having a website shut down, and being labelled and defamed by the mainstream press. It's pretty much the same thing. I know journalists, and you do over the years, who have been disappeared. In other words, they cannot engage anywhere. And that's what's happened to all of the good scientists who can tell you exactly what the IPCC are up to and why their scientific fraud is criminal. I met, um, you know this story, but some of our listeners won't know, and I'm not going to take more than 50, 45 seconds to tell it. But during our, our Spain days, we met, met a gentleman who, um, if I mentioned his name, people would know who he is. He was uh, part of a group of English mercenaries who fought um, on the wrong side of civil wars in Africa in the 1970s. He was a soldier of fortune, basically. He ended up going to jail. Two of his mates were executed. Angola and places like this. Lovely guy, a genuinely lovely guy. And he said to me he never did it. But a lot of those guys he worked with, they went into business for themselves as um, professional hitmen, basically. And their biggest clients were the most common phone calls. The most common client was um, big pharmaceutical companies. Imagine that. Well, I can believe it. You see, I think that there's different levels. And I'd like to come back and talk about what's going on, Richie, as far as the closing down of areas like Canterbury. Canterbury's going to be put into five five zones and you're not allowed to go from one zone to another in your car. Saw that. And Couldn't believe it. But, yeah, well, I, I could believe it, but I did see... Isn't that incredible? So so when we talked about There's climate lockdowns... In Oxford, Richie. In yeah. Oxford. Yes, in Oxford. And Canterbury, they're saying it's going to be in the future, but in Oxford, it's starting in August. It's starting in year. August. And there was me and you yeah. three years ago talking about climate lockdowns and Sky News did a piece where they named this show and one or two others and said that we were batshit crazy idiots stirring it up um, cause, because we said climate lockdowns would be a thing and here we are, we've got one next month. Exactly. And so I don't see much difference between what happened then and what happened now but now it's more to do with defamation and the disappearing of you from the internet and the taking of your income. That's what happens to people who go against the consensus. Is it so, going to be all over way, for me and you? Is is it going to be all over for me and you if they get the online harms bill through Parliament? Ultimately, will 
will they go after the the web not the webmasters but the you know the technical jargon better than I do. Your website is hosted by a company. Well, they ultimately go to these companies and say, listen, get rid of Windows on the world.net. That's how it goes. And then really all you're left with then is going on speaker's corner or going out on the street corners. But even then, then they'll probably arrest you. Is that how it's going to go? Well, yes, I don't think we're very far away from that at all. And I know people, as you do, who it really has already happened to. A lot of people have been disappeared and wiped off the internet. And the thing is that it's retrospective as well, because they can take you off the internet for something you said 10 years ago on Twitter. Yeah. So this is the whole point of it. It's controlling the narrative in a way that they couldn't actually control in the 1600s, because there was networks of underground people invisible. But now everything's on the internet. So your whole life is there. And they can go back if they want to. They'll find a tweet and they'll twist it or they'll twist something you've said. And there's nothing you can do about it because you have no platform. No, there's nothing you can do. There's a Facebook page. for. Uh, there's 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 a, and listen, it's not about me. I'm not one of those me, me, me people. I can't stand those types of people. But there is a Wikipedia page for this radio show. And it's full of lies, you know, and there's nothing I can do about it. I've asked one or two academics, including one or two good journalists, to do the decent thing and go in there and try and amend some of it because it's just fucking lies, excuse my my French, but yeah. no no chance, it's just there. This guy is an anti-Semite, he loves anti-Semitism, he brings on anti-Semites, it's just nonsense, but I can't do anything about it. <laughs> you know? No, and this <laughs> is hell. really what hate speak is, it's people yeah. who are full of hate want to stop anything that goes against their narrative. Yeah, And I've had it happen to me I've been defamed online for years. When years. I was at TPV, when we were working there, there was a lunatic who'd been set against me by people who worked in private intelligence, and I could do nothing to get that taken off the internet. Nothing. In fact, it was only stopped 18 months ago by someone else who was defamed by this person, and I said to them, I said, some of the people who follow this particular person are as crazy as she is, and they could do something to you. He said, I know. He got a private detective, and he got a court injunction against this person. But her stuff was online for 15 years. And you know why There's that is? You, can do. Yeah. you know why that is? That's because if you go to a man or a woman, it could be an academic, it could be a doctor or a scientist, and they, they've got something interesting to say. And Miss, Mr. Windows rings up and says, I've got a radio show, it's good, we, you'll have plenty of time to talk, come on. It's designed so that they'll go online and say, oh, I can't appear without Windows. Oh, did you see what's on the internet about him? Sure, he's only a racist. That's what it's about. That's what it's designed to do. I come up against this all the time. People say, I can't come on, Richie. I'd love to come on, Richie, because I can see you've got a reach. I can see it's got, you know, a little bit of a... It, it, the show's got a little bit of um, a following. It's got a bit of a foothold. Can't come on, though, Richie, because look, sure, they'll, they'll, they'll hammer me if I come on with you. And you had that as well. That's how they do it, guilt yeah. by association. It's, uh, so that brings us back to the heresy thing, because yeah. it comes back to the choice, able to choose, hereticos, yeah. heresy. It just means to choose. So they have a choice. They can say, actually, I'm not going to give a damn what anyone thinks. I like this person. I think he's honest. They are cowardly by not coming on. It's them who are the cowards. The heretics are the people who have faith, truth, and basically intent and 
that's the important thing. Because if you're committed to truth, then you would not wriggle out of going on someone's show because people said nasty things about them. Absolutely. You know, when Desmond Swain came on here two years ago, the Tory said they take the whip off him. I couldn't believe it. I was reading in the Guardian. I read all the papers like you do. I don't. Um, I read all of them, and I'm reading the Guardian. I couldn't believe it. Um, Desmond Swain was told the whip would be removed if he came on the Richie Allen show again. I mean, Jesus Christ! Like, no blasphemy intended. And Swain capitulated and wouldn't come back on. Capitulated. Yes, they do yeah. because this is the thing. When it comes to it, what are you going to do? Are you going to compromise or are you going to hold true? And that is the test. Well, I know what you're going to do. Sorry to interrupt you. I know what you're going to do. You're going to carry on doing what you're doing. I don't do anything. All I do is listen to people like you. So I'll continue to listen to people like you. But do you hold out any hope that... The, the the people who could make a difference because of their celebrity or because of their reach, do you hold out any hope that they will eventually see the light and that, that they do need to, uh, you know, unshackle themselves from the mainstream and not care about the abuse they might get because they spoke to Mark Windows? Do you ever see a day where that will happen, where they'll, you know, they'll be struck by courage, Mark, or gifted of courage? Well, I think it's more to do with the public who support it, you see. Because if the public stop buying in to the gaslighting and the defamation of the mainstream media, then it would have no effect. And that is where it could start. But there's only a few people who spoke out against COVID. Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, Ian Brown. Now, Eric Clapton was not that informed about any of it, but he just gave an honest opinion. He was honest in what he was saying something's up here, don't know what it is. And for that, he's now Rolling Stone have basically written him out of history. Yeah, that's right. Now, this is absolutely incredible, but it shows you the superficiality and the hypocrisy of these people who are in media. They won't even support him. And you'd like to think that there's still enough critical thinking in people that they notice what happens to Eric Clapton and they say to themselves, Jesus, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Like, he didn't do very much wrong there, Eric. He just asked the question. Like, you would hope that the public would think like that and say, hang on a second now, it's not acceptable to cancel somebody just because they asked a few questions about lockdowns. But people don't seem, maybe they're too scared. Maybe they've been, you know, beaten down by years of fear and propaganda. But... They don't seem to be horrified by the treatment of people who just asked a simple question. And you know, sorry, to, I don't want to hog the time, I want to hear more from you. But you said earlier on to me, which stunned me, the people didn't turn up to watch the heretics being burned because they were a sadistic bunch of feckers who wanted to see the execution. They turned up to speak up for the heretics. So there was a bit more courage yeah, around so in the 16th it, it, century. Yes, it worked in reverse against the church. It did the church no good at all, but they started on this crusade against heretics and they could not stop. So it's very similar to now. They've started on this crusade that anthropogenic global warming is real, so they can't stop it. It's driving nearly every policy, so they have to keep it up. It was a very similar thing. The heretics 
who were burned were given robes to wear by people. And they used to make special clothes for them to be burned in. And it was extremely unpopular. It did the Catholic Church no good at all in the end. Lots of courage around then. Not so much now. But maybe I'm just being pessimistic. None. If they won't even go on a radio show. I mean, can you imagine, Richie, what that's like to be burned to death, tied to a stake? No, I don't want to imagine it. It's, it's horrendous. And some of these people took up to an hour to die. The actual reports of it are horrific. They would have their entrails spilling out. Their hands would be burned off and they would still be alive. Because they weren't dousing them in, 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 they weren't dousing them in an accelerant, were they? They were just putting bushels around them and, and bits of sticks and stuff like that, presumably. Now, what they used to do with some of them was strangle them before they burned them. That's what happened to um, Tyndale. They strangled him, then, then they burned him. Which was merciful, but maybe. Most of them weren't, and a lot of them didn't want to be. That's the point that the bravery they faced it and one of them who was john leaf a 19 year old was very frightened he was going to get burnt to death and the heretic who was getting burned with him which you'll find out in the film said to him be of good cheer be of good cheer john tonight we will have a merry supper with the lord and they were just kind of they were opposing what was happening to them in such an extreme way in other words they were seeing what they did as a victory, victory against papists, which is absolutely extraordinary. And in Smithfield, there's only three of the heretics listed, John Bradford, John Rogers and John Philpot, and they were all burned under Queen Mary in the first few years of her reign. But there were 65 other people burned there and in all over 300 maybe 350, maybe 400 in England during that period. So the, t the, t the stories of all these people are absolutely exhilarating. They were smuggling in these Bibles. They were going undercover. They, one of them, John Frith, dressed as a tramp, and they caught him in Reading. We'd come back from Antwerp and smuggling these Bibles, and they could tell by the way he was speaking he was highly educated because he was a lawyer. So they, they took him to be interrogated, and the Royal Guard actually said, we want you to escape, run away, run away. He said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to face my accusers. Incredible, really, isn't it? He knew he was probably facing certain death, but he said, no, I'll stand. He was facing certain death. Yeah, he knew, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jesus, Mark. This is amazing stuff, man. I, I can't wait. Normally I get to see a film before we talk about it, um, but I'm kind of glad now that I haven't. I'm looking forward to seeing this. It's... Um, Go on, you do it. Tell us the name of the film and where people can get it. It's called The Heretics of London, The Smithfield Martyrs, and it's available at windowsontheworld.net. It's on the homepage. You click on it, and there's a payloads link, and you can download it for $6. And that $6 helps me keep going. I'm not living a life of luxury. I'm actually waiting for a visa to go No, somewhere. I know, I know <laughs> you're not. So I'm actually living in my van at the moment, which is probably why we're having problems with the um, internet connection. Because you're moving but, around. Um, Can I just endorse that, yeah. by the way? Um, look, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it now. Um, I'm going to endorse what Mark said there. He's not um, swanning around um, spending um, 
you, you know money living the life of Riley. Okay. He's living he, he's living hand to mouth and uh six dollars is a drop in the ocean. It's nothing really. So support his work. First of all you've got to want to watch this film anyway. So uh pay the six dollars and watch it. And, and educate yourself. Don't send it to me. I'm going to buy it for six bucks tomorrow. It's the least I can do. Uh, and I'm okay, going to watch man. it over the weekend. So do not send it to me. I, I'll buy it myself. It's The Heretics of London. You'll find out all you need to know about purchasing it or downloading it at Windows on uh, net. Are you in a good place, mate? I mean, uh, tell me to piss off and mind my own business, but a lot's been going on for you the last couple of years. Emotionally, how are you getting on? Are you doing okay? Yes. In fact, I... I treat every day as a bonus because of what I know and the way things are going. I enjoy every day. I like to get into nature. I do my studying. I keep up with what I need to keep up with. But the other side of it is appreciating why we're on this planet and what a great place it actually is. That may sound like a cliche, but when you are in a beautiful place and you see nature, which is something that I'm very drawn to, then it is a different view of the world and everyone should have that view of the world because that is reality what they're inflicting on us is not reality and i know you're a genial guy and amenable and uh, gregarious so i imagine on your travels you've met plenty of interesting people i have no doubt about that we, we, we might we might get into that maybe another time you've been listening to mark windows on thursday's program do me a favor do yourself a favor Go to windowsontheworld.net and download The Heretics of London. By doing that, you'll be supporting his work to keep his radio show going. But also, you know, it'll encourage Mark to make other films in the future. Windowsontheworld.net. Godspeed to you, pal, on your travels. That was a fantastic hour. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Rich. It was really interesting. Great to speak to you again. Always is, pal. And you mind yourself. Mark Windows on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. 27 and a half minutes to the top of the air. I'm going to say it again. Windowsontheworld.net. The Heretics of London. That's about as interesting an hour of radio now that I've heard for a long time. How interesting. Drawing the parallels between these people. The persecution of them. How they faced up to it. The bravery to stand up to the tyranny. And to say no... We will say what it is that we believe, whether you like it or not, and to accept death when you could recant. Do you think you could have done that? I don't think I could do that. I'm not, I don't think I could do that. I don't know if I'd have the courage. I think most of us love somebody. Most of us have somebody that we love. I have no doubt in my mind that I would die before giving up my soulmate, my better half. I would die before giving her up. I'd be terrified, but I think I'd manage it. But in the case of the heretics or the heretics, I think I'd be thinking lots of excuses I'd be making to myself, live to fight another day, Richie. Just say what they want you to say and then go home and lick your wounds. I don't think I could have put up with it. That, you know, I don't have a low pain threshold, but I don't have a high pain threshold either. And I think in those circumstances, Jesus, wow. Richard says he'll be buying the film. Thanks, Richard. Faisal says these times are great if you see life as an adventure. These these times, I hear what you're saying, Faisal. I understand that argument. Others probably wouldn't. And they say, oh, it's shit at the moment. 
but I get that. Tony says, don't comply with their bullshit and you don't need their Twitter, fascist book or YouTube. And he says, use other platforms, says Tony. Patrick says, it's relatively easy now for we people that believe in the truth. We will be given a bullet in the head or a poisonous jab rather than being burned at the stake. I hope you're wrong, Patrick. I don't see a bullet in my head or a poisonous jab anytime soon. I think Mark is probably right. You might be right, Patrick. I don't know, but I don't think I don't think you are. And that's just an opinion because you might be right. It'll be, as he described it, it'll just be the excommunication of people if you want to use stay with the religious theme. You know, they'll excommunicate you. They're doing it already. Again, you know I don't do the me, 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 me shit. You know I don't do that. I've never done it. But let's look at the Richie Allen show over the years. A YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers, which was getting around about a million and a half, two million views a month. They deleted it because I did my job, because I questioned Wolfgang Halbig about Sandy Hook. Robustly questioned him to the point where he got pissed off. But they deleted the channel saying that I had been promoting hate speech. Gone. Twitter, gone. Facebook, gone. And I'm nobody, really. There are people who work in the independent media who've got much, much bigger reach than I do, and they've done the same to them. That's how they'll do it. They'll just make it next to impossible for you to be heard or seen. And Hayden Hewitt, the great Hayden Hewitt, said this many, many years ago. He warned people about, you know, throwing in their lot exclusively. Because Hayden was was called a hypocrite because he used Facebook, he used Twitter. But he said, no, don't throw your lot in exclusively with Google, Facebook. Uh, Google, of course, is YouTube. Google, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. He said, don't do that. You know, diversify, there's a terrible word, where you put your, where, where you, where, where you, where your online presence is, make it diverse. But people didn't listen. People gave up their own websites, gleefully, thinking, oh, I don't have to pay for my, my hosting. I don't have to pay for anything. I can just go on Facebook and my Facebook page will be my website. And Hayden Hewitt said, no, they want everyone in the world to do that so that it makes it easier to censor them, but also to um, to determine what you get to read and what you don't get to read. That's what they're all about, these Facebook pages. That's what Facebook is all about, these tech giants. They are there to make sure that you get a certain viewpoint and a certain viewpoint only. This isn't new. You know this. And people were suckered into it. I wrote about this the other day. Over 3 billion people using Facebook. 2 billion people on WhatsApp. You know. Hey. Colin says, Richie, it should be stated. No, Colin, excuse me. Colin with an M. In Dublin, we know Colin. And he's very interested in these matters and he's done his own research, I know this. He says, it should be stated, the Catholic Church didn't just come up with transubstantiation in the 12th century. He goes on to say, does Colin, that Christ himself thought it, uh, taught it even, Christ himself taught it. Go, he says, and look at John six fifty six. They clarified it when the teaching was denied by said heretics. If you go for that sort of thing. I say, says, says Colin, Christ's message was enveloped by Rome. I say God became man so man could become God. 
I am your imagination and thoughts. That's the creative Christ in you, says Colm. Thanks, Colm, for that. Very interesting. Really is, because I, I know very little of these things. Wow. Charlie says, fascinating thought-provoking stuff. I'm glued to my radio, and not because of climate change, he says. Steve says, this is brilliant. Steve McGurr. Hi, Steve. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing Mark's film, More on Ancient and Obscured History. Please, Richie. Well, if I can get it, Steve. <laughs> if I can get people on to talk about it. That was the wonderful thing about having Jordan on the programme for so many years, God rest him. Was that, it was wonderful. And Jim Mars, God rest him, you know, would, would get into this stuff, you know. Thank you for that, Steve. I, I say amen to that. You'll get no arguments from me. And I too, La Antenna, who's David as well, and everybody else who says they are very interested in the film. Do go to windowsontheworld.net for six bucks. That's dollars, not uh, pounds, if you can. And uh, download the film. And by doing that, as I said already, you will, of course, be supporting uh, the work of my friend, Mark Windows. It is exactly 20 minutes to the top of the hour. This, dear listener, is where I take my leave of you, but not before reminding you that I am back on air with you this coming Sunday morning for possibly the greatest radio show in the history of Weast in Salford. Yeah, yeah, the only one. Sunday morning melodies with the BBGs on Richie I'll see you Sunday at 10 o'clock Thank you for listening Thanks to Mark Windows I enjoyed this week It's been a good week on the show I think It has been for me anyway You look after yourselves and one another Have a fantastic weekend ahead I'll be in touch with you over the weekend on the website anyway Until Sunday at 10 From your BBG It's Au Revoir Bye now